Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. And welcome, hello, hello, how are we? Welcome to the Squid Rugby World Cup retrospective once again. And after about, is it about, it's almost two years or something ridiculous since we last covered the Springboks game. Yeah, um, yeah. It's because we're really anti-Springboks. Um, it's true, it's true. It's the bias. <laughs> yeah. You wait, I, I'm going to avoid all of Ireland's games. So we don't have to miss any of the knockouts, really. Yeah, we'll uh, avoid all of the semi-finals game. at least. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, and of course, now being on covering the Springboks, joined as ever by Mr. Will Owen. How are you doing? What? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good to be here. Good to be here. Thanks for inviting me. And it is a delight to finally, as I say, after, you know, having a series without the Springboks on it, to be joined by, from the Rugby Bits podcast, from now Planet Rugby as well, and from generally one of the best followers on Rugby Twitter. Yeah, the Rugby Mad stuff is amazing. Yeah, just absolutely fantastic. (laughs) Mr. Jared Wright, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm great now, especially after that kind of intro. Uh, I think you're doing, a, you, you pumped in uh, some gas up my ass with that one. So <laughs> I quite enjoyed that. You want to talk a bit more about my... The- my, I would, uh, I would happily, <laughs> happily, happily. I was, I, I was genuinely thinking about this. Like, I would honestly, wholeheartedly say that I think you're one of the best coverers of rugby, like on the internet, because I think it's very clear that you're passionate about the Springboks, but not exclusively the Springboks. Like, I think you have an extremely open-minded approach mm. to the way you consume rugby and the way that you get something out of it every time you watch it. So it feels like I should be saying this at the end, but I'll say it at the start <laughs> instead. Uh, so if anybody is unfamiliar with Jared's work on the social medias please do have a look at it because it's and, very good like i i dropped a little like thank you on the end of the moments of the year video to you but genuinely really the the amount of rugby you seem to go through and retweet and kind of collate in one place and have up there is amazing and it was yeah. just speaking personally like such an aid on that you know there's a handful of like yourself and ek rugby analysis and a few other accounts yeah, yeah. like reddit and so on that were really useful <laughs> but like you were one of the absolute biggest in that being possible and if people are a fan of that kind of video and that kind of stuff that are listening to this then <laughs> and you don't follow jared already i imagine many of you probably do then please go and follow him because it is you will not regret it for a second. Yeah. 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 Thanks, James. Thanks for that. So, yeah, now that we got the niceties out the way. <laughs> with, with that in mind, though, so obviously you consume a lot of rugby, like, and yeah. kind of in a relentless manner, like you don't kind of have days off and that kind of thing. Where does that love, like outright adoration of the sport stem from? Where did that kind of originate? Uh, I, I don't know. Hey, I, I think as South Africans, we generally love rugby to start off with. My dad was a big Springbok fan um, mm. and a big Cheetahs fan as well. So uh, some of it does come from that. But uh, he would go like months without watching a game and then the Cheetahs would be in the Curry Cup final and we'd be off to Bloemfontein. So, yeah, going and watching the games live was always great. Mm. Funny enough, I ended up becoming a Shark supporter. So, yeah, he wasn't too pleased oh. about that. But uh, 
Good How decision in the end. Now, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, well, <laughs> yeah. Oh, you can look forward to Challenge yeah. Cup games otherwise. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um, that actually comes from my cousin. So he's also a big Sharks fan, and uh, he lived in uh, in Natal at the at the time. So right. you'll probably listen to this. So shout out, Brad, if you're listening. <laughs> I'm sure you will. So yeah, that's pretty much where that came from. But well, once I started playing, I only started playing like in high school at like. 13 years old or something mm-hmm. that I just sort of, I, the game just grew on me. Like I was always a big uh, rugby fan, but it just went rugby mad after that, I suppose. And, uh, there we go. Yeah. Yeah. What, yeah. What position did you play? What kind of player were you? It sounds ridiculous when you look at me because I'm a small South African in comparison, but uh, yeah. I, I was a, I was a lock and a back oh, rower. Nice. So yeah, I also went to English school. So we were quite smaller than the big Afrikaners. Like you, yeah. you've seen that mostly pay for the Springboks in the pack. So yeah, we were quite a small um, pack and I was one of the smaller locks added into that. But uh, I ended up playing all in the front row and uh, oh, wow. hooker as well. And yeah. You were your team's well, Franco so Mostert. Yeah. <laughs> I wouldn't go that far. Franco gets through <laughs> a lot of work. I was quite a lazy player. <laughs> <laughs> It's a point of difference. Everyone needs a point yeah. of difference. You're Franco Mostert, but small and lazy. I'm always yeah. exactly the same. <laughs> Just like, you know, I like to think of myself as I was Chris Ashton, but shite. Um, <laughs> like, you think like, oh, I could run a support line there. And that's like, it. That was, the only yeah. thing I could do was run support lines. Like, in my playing career, it was literally the only thing I was good at was running support lines but I wasn't very fast so I couldn't really get there in time and I couldn't do anything once I got the ball it was just like I could be I could be near enough to someone's shoulder or know where I'd need to be to be on someone's shoulder or if it was someone slower than me one of the props and no one else (laughs) then it was then it was okay then I could get away with it but that was the only thing I was good at so you know like it's 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 a career source yeah, and I, I had a similar thing is that I loved rucks always. Oh, really? So, yeah, yeah. And I, I didn't care whether you had to be on your feet or not. So <laughs> most times I'd end up, I often got a yellow card for that kind of thing. But uh, just running and smashing somebody in a ruck, like it was awesome. And uh, actually watching this game that we're going to talk about, it, it reminded me of playing because the rucks are like that back then. So it's not like that now anymore. Like you could run and absolutely pelt somebody and dive <laughs> it first to them <laughs> as Backy's boater found out like he loved that yeah. very much how old era rucking in this game yeah how yeah, hard exactly. do you have to smash someone in a ruck to get yellow carded at south african under 13s level <laughs> it, it was more the going off your feet uh, right. aspect of it. it it wasn't it wasn't uh the actual act of it like it, or he uh, it was just you've gone off your feet so many times like the next one <laughs> it's a yellow card you clearly know what you're doing yeah. They're both taking three <laughs> minutes to come out every single time. Exactly. <laughs> well, yeah, no, thank you for joining us. The game we are here to talk about ostensibly today is <laughs> South Africa's 59-7 win over Samoa. That opening game of the 2007 World Cup, which I think they went on to do all right in. I haven't looked too far ahead. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah. they did okay. Yeah. They've, they've done okay, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, well, when they showed the teams showing up, my first thought was, this is a World Cup winning squad. Yeah. Yeah. My immediate thought. <laughs> with with that in mind, so I can only assume this is a Springboks team that you have a very good relationship <laughs> with. Would you like to kind of touch on that, some of your favourite players from this team? What your kind of best memories of this squad are? 
Yeah, funny enough, when I looked at the teams, that my immediate thoughts is two of my all-time favorite players are playing, which was a standout for me, is that uh, Bucky's Boetta and Butch James were both playing. So <laughs> ah. you can... You can sort of see why I liked uh, going headfirst into rucks. And uh, yeah, it's two abrasive players. So yeah, there was very fond memories of mine from those two players in particular. Huerta being from the Bulls made it a bit difficult for the Sharks. <laughs> but uh, the minute he pulled that uh, Springbok jersey on, it was a different story. But uh, Always is. Yeah. And uh, like, I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but what, what I did like about this team or looking back at this game is you have like perceptions that you've built up of certain players like over the years and they, you haven't seen them play for a few years or anything. And with going back and watching this, a lot of those perceptions that I had of players remained the same, which was mm. awesome to see. That's um, brilliant. Yeah. I love like, that. I love that. Straight up. Am I right in thinking you're a fellow Foro de Priya fanboy as well? <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, yeah. yes. That's good. And, and yeah, I, I thought this was one of his more average games, to be honest. Yeah. Honestly, I agree. Like, but the thing is, I think that's because the Springboks won by 50 points. So he didn't get a chance to do the whole like genius game plan mapping out thing that he does yeah. better than arguably any other scrum yeah. half in history. It's um, quite easy to be a tactical genius when the tactic that's working best is give it to her banner. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So I think that he personally, he would have been very happy with not standing out in a game like this. And, you know, his team's try scoring doing the, the talking. But I'm aware from because we've spoken before, you've listened to the pod before and you've been very kind and supportive of since the start and been very supportive of my pure obsession with Fori Dupria. So yeah. um, I, I just think... I just thought it's good to get that in there. It's like because we were both quite young during Voyager, most of Voyager Priya's era, during his kind of like peak 2007 to 2012-ish era. And obviously he continued after that, was still a very, very good player, but that kind of era where he was the best scrum half in the world. Yeah, he knocked us out I was kind of 2015, mate. Yeah, yeah, that's it. No, I, I tried to forget. So does Alex Cuthbert. But I think I was sort of, it was an age in which I was probably too young to fully appreciate what he was doing. Like yeah. if yeah. it was a Welsh player, you could have focused in on it because you were seeing him every week. But when you're seeing him every so often, being a genius, and because at that point I wasn't watching every Tri-Nations game until sort of maybe 2010-ish, it meant that I think I slept on Foy Priya an awful lot <laughs> during his playing career. And so rediscovering him going, oh, this guy was incredible. Yeah, he would have been my favourite player. If he was, you know, yeah, if he was playing yeah. now, he would be one of my favourite players I, in the world. Funnily enough, I once had it a few years ago where I was asked by a fellow coach at the rugby club to talk to some youngsters about who my favourite rugby player is. And at the time, I said Fori de Priya. Oh, because wow. as a scrum half, which is the position I also play, I like my favourite kind of scrum half is one who can just tactically know what to do a hundred percent of the time, which is exactly what Fori de Prayer is. Like he is a pure tactician, like whether it's his kicking game or just general, like his passing game. And like, the thing is like, he had all of the skills to suit any kind of game. Uh, as I guess we saw in this, as I say, like when he was just essentially, yeah, feeding Butch James and letting him, the outside backs do all the work, like whatever the situation was, he always knew how to tackle it. And yeah, I just love him. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, he played under Hanika Meyer, Peter de Villiers, and Jake White. I mean, three yeah. coaches that played three different uh, rugby styles, and he yeah. shone throughout. And and the other thing about him is that he wasn't ever slept on in South Africa. It was like a no. mood about him from from the start. I mean, he took over at the Bulls from Jos van der Veer's days, and that's some some mantle to take over. And 
yeah, he the whole time throughout his career, it was never like, oh no, we shouldn't be starting Prix de Prix. There's somebody better. It was like, okay, Prix de Prix is fit. Let's play. <laughs> he plays. Yeah. 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 And I, I don't know if you guys saw it recently. The reports, I'm sure you guys have heard of them. The Afrikaans newspaper, they did a top 40 books over the last uh, 30 years or whatever. Right. And, uh, and uh, he ended up topping the list. So oh, did he? Yes. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I think it, it was him and Joost on top of the list. They were in the top three. Oh, wow. Least, but, uh, it's impossible to pick between those two, Joost and uh, yeah. Fori de Prea, as like yeah. if if the Springboks played an all-time 15 game, they're getting a half each. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And and the panel that they had was uh, like past coaches and current coaches. And mm. so oh. Nick, Nick Mallet was a part of it. And oh. it wasn't just like a, a bunch of journalists uh, picking out their guys. They had Stick in there as well. And I think Jake wow. Watts as well. So, mm. yeah, pretty impressive list to top. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. And it makes sense that coaches would mm. automatically go towards Fori de Prea mm. and Eust. You know, that's yeah. a, he is a coach's dream. I think that even looking at this Springboks team alone, like it's difficult to pick one standout player. So it says a lot that you can top that as like a general point because mm. to kind of move on to it, you look at the Springbok pack, you're looking at Oz Durant, John Smith and CJ van der Linde front row, which is pretty powerful. Right. I love this era of Oz Durant because he has the vibe of a third team player who was really good in his day, but is now just kind of coasting and playing 50 minutes, you know, so he has something to do on a Saturday, except he's doing it for the spring box. And I was going to say, brilliant. and yet when he goes into a scrum, he absolutely murders whoever's in front of yeah. him. His opposite number here is yeah. Census Johnston, who was like a really good scrummaging prop. Mm. And yet yeah. Oz Durant just made mincemeat of him. But yeah. I, I'm guessing you guys had the same feed as me with the Australian commentators. Yes. Uh, and and did you hear the comments? I think it's Ben Darwin that uh, ends up saying it. And he's like, oh, no, um, Osteurant isn't really known for his scrummaging. And <laughs> my immediate thoughts was, what is Osteurant then known for? <laughs> Like when you speak about all-time loose heads, you you think of their scrummaging automatically, and Beast and Samarira and Osturan are the first two guys that come to mind. Yeah, as South African, and yeah, I'm sure Jenkins falls into the same category. Or well, everyone will have their own player for it. But, yeah, uh, I yeah. would pick those two over Geffen Jenkins. Yeah, Geffen Jenkins though. was a functional scrum, which an outstanding at everything else. Whereas yeah. I think. Mm. Like Oz Durant, you think of as a scrummager who was a great ball carrier as well, but it's the scrum first and foremost, I think. Yeah. Just, it's yeah. Dura- like duration as well he played for us. The really outstanding and that's thing. Like, it. He played like, in the 1995 World Cup. He'd started that yeah. final. Yeah. yeah. Winning two World Cups 12 years apart is is insane. It's the same with the Beast. Like He was basically the best scrummager in the world for 10 years. Like, mm. yeah, it's impossible to see past it. But yeah, Oz Durant is one of my favourite things about that 2019 World Cup was the fact that everyone had had a period where they went, and it was it only lasted about a year, but everyone went, oh, the beast's done. He's kind of past his best. And he went, <laughs> no. Yeah, Hold my beer whilst I smash you into the street. I will crush you into the pavements. And it was amazing to watch, just him being like absolute peak of his career, like maybe the best rugby of his career, right after, like like almost like a month after everyone wrote him off. It was brilliant. <laughs> I don't know if Austin Durant had had that heading into this, but, you know, I think there's a similar situation of just that duration and just continuing on. 
So I, I meant to look it up, but if I remember correctly, um, I think it was Eddie Andrews retired just before this World Cup, if I'm not mistaken. And that's the reason Ost came out of retirement is Jacob right. was looking for a scrummage in Lucid and went, oh, well, Osteran could play. And <laughs> <laughs> went pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. I, like I said, I'm pretty sure that I folded out. And came out. Do you know who gave the phone call? to call him back up razzy no. erasmus no way <laughs> razzy erasmus called him back up at his suggestion razzy who was a consultant like the spring box at the yes. time right jake white was head coach and when he wasn't off buying a thousand beers for every fan his assistants he had as technical advisors eddie jones and razzy erasmus the two coaches from the last world cup final which is Helping. pretty remarkable. I thought i saw when the south african team walked out i thought i saw alistair Katzia in the yeah. tunnel yeah, he he's a, he was an yeah. assistant coach. Yeah, yeah, assistant wow. coach. And I think the other one was Cat Small. He's uh, right. He was working at the Stormers for quite a while, and I think he's now gone back to Japan. Oh, sweet! Bulls. That's a the Bulls. hell of a coaching squad. That yeah. is. Like yeah. I know that Alistair Kutzir wasn't well remembered like his time as head coach, but still to have him as like a you know a lower down in your team, mm. like hell of a squad they've got together in two thousand and seven there. I think as well, looking at this team, usually, right, when we run through the teams on this pod, I w- you know, you just want to kind of skim through it and pick a few names out. It's impossible to know which names not to say with this Springbok team. You've got Borter <laughs> and Matfield in the second row, which is renowned as potentially the greatest second row partnership to ever play the game, or certainly one off, like it's right up there. You've got Berger, Smith and Rousseau back row, which is terrifying, if nothing else. <laughs> the one thing on the one thing I've wanted to mention on Ozzy Rant, just very quickly. Yeah, go on then. Sorry, back. sorry. Uh, no, 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 no. There's one. My favorite line on his Wikipedia page, very quickly, is despite calls he was too old, White persisted in selecting Durant for the 2007 World Cup in France. But next to despite calls he was getting too old, it's a citation needed. <laughs> 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 Nobody believes it. Nobody looked at that guy and went, "He can't scrummage." Yeah. Despite the fact he was coming up on 36. Um, yeah, him. as you said, the Springbok team is utterly ridiculous. The the actual fifteen when they name it, like mm. I glanced at the Samo- I saw the Samoa team at first. And I was like, oh, that's a pretty decent Samoa. Yeah, team. Yeah, yeah, it's and good. Then you we'll get on the South African but... team, and you go, Jesus, yeah, they're going to win by fifty two points. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no mercy at all. We've spoken about Fori Dupree and Butch James. Like you got Jacques Fourier and Jean de Villiers in the centres, yes. which is a world class centre combo. Like I love watching Jacques Fourier play. Uh, he and they just, were a great combination as well. They worked yeah. so well together, especially in attack. Mm. Like Fori is basically like the the model 13 of like mm. he does all of the things you want of a 13 well like he's strong he's powerful he runs really good lines yeah, he's a great a finisher yeah but for me the back three is just next level brian habana on the left wing jp peterson on the right wing and percy montgomery at fullback i can't think of a more balanced back three that mm. you could name pure gas on both wings mm. and then somebody who can kick 50 meters off both feet at the back, like absolutely insane. And then, but that's it. You look at that team and it's full of just combinations that really work together and we know yes. complement each other. So you obviously got Matfield and Borta in the second row who are, I suppose, until a few weeks ago, the most capped second row partnership together mm. of all time. Now overtaken by Whitelock and Retallick, but were for a very, very long time. Then that back row of Berger, Schmidt and Rousseau, which I think Danny Rousseau's kind of been 
I think, you know, because he moved to second row after this and kind of, he's lesser seen, but he was a hell of a player back at this point as well. He's one of those players that if you're lining up against him and you're about to take the ball into contact, he's the last person you want to run into other than back and forth (laughs) and basically the rest of the team. But still. (laughs) Yeah, and uh, the thing is, you spoke about Rousseau playing uh, Locke. At this time, he was already playing Locke. So he was always like the, he was always the fix-it man for the Bulls and um, Springboks. So, I think at this stage, I think PSP said it was playing already and uh, he was ruled out of the World Cup and we sort of needed a number eight and uh, Vickers van Heerden, who was there on the bench, uh, he was one of the options. I think he played, I think he might have played the quarterfinal in this World Cup at right. number eight. But, and there was also Bobby Skinska that Jake brought in, but Russo was definitely a uh, lock that was sort of filling in at number eight. And okay, yeah. Yeah, a little bit of a, another throwback to 1995 where uh, <laughs> we we had a lock starting the World Cup final at number eight with Mark Andrews. Oh, really? Yeah. So yeah. clearly it really, really works for you just playing three yeah. locks. And uh, yeah, exactly. Dwayne Vermeulen is the one standout then. Of all your World Cup winning number yeah. eights, he's the only one who's actually a number eight. Yeah, uh, but we had Peter Stefti Soy on the uh, on the flank of as well. So. Of course. Just to fill up that lock jersey. <laughs> so, yeah. You'll have to see how, like, if you can get one further away from the scrum next time you're in a World Cup. So, you can get one on the wing <laughs> or something. Like, you know. I don't know. You could argue. Sure, about his could do a there. job. Like, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. I, 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 I don't know if you guys know this about John Smith from this match, but uh, he had actually missed five games for the Springboks before this match. And uh, he, he actually picked up an injury against Australia before the World Cup. Oh. And what's. I'm going to get real nerdy with a little stat Please. now. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, so his injury against Australia in the first Tri-Nations match before this World Cup, he actually was on a record run for the Springboks of the most consecutive matches without missing one. And oh, wow. he ended on 46. Yeah. So That's... this 46 matches, he was straight that he played for the Springboks. That's absolutely ridiculous. And in this modern era as well. I was going to say, in the pro yeah, era, where like, like, you look at one minute into this game, you see how hard the hits are and the rucks are and so mm. on. Like, you are bound to get bruised hard on this. This is one of the most brutal, like, you know, most physical kind of eras yeah. of rugby I can imagine. Like, and there's big hits that aren't getting penalised where, like, you're bound to pick up an injury along the way. 46 test matches on a and on the run by this point yeah. you're playing lots of fixtures it's not like like gareth edwards played 50 games in a row but that yeah. was in the 70s back when you were playing maybe five or six games a year and yeah. so you did pick your best team every week whereas here at this point sorry he's playing hooker yeah yeah he's yeah mark do you see on the bench and he's captain as well, yeah. so he's playing a long time in those games. And also, like, like given the fact he can play multiple <coughs> positions as well, mm-hmm. it's not like he's playing 40 minutes and then coming straight off. Like, no, he is emptying the tank in those games. That's ludicrous. And and this is also the era where um, hookers will quite possibly play 80 minutes and you mm-hmm. trade players out because uh, you're taking a front row off a front row would go full 80 minutes in these kind of games. You could name two props on the bench kind of thing. And, uh, mm. yeah. Any idea how many test match test caps he had by this point that he had? Keeping in mind he played forty six in a row. I know. I'd guess at this point he must be somewhere around the sixty mark. If he yeah, was... the sixty odd, yeah, sixty, yeah, sixty seven, right? Yeah. And he goes on so, to play yeah. for a long time after this, like in, and then have a career insane after he retires. Yeah, from, mm. um, yeah, South Africa. 
Remarkable captain he was. Yeah. Yeah, talk about leading by example. 46 on the trot is next yeah. level. So, well, the other thing about that Springbok side is that he may not have kept that record up regardless because they infamously, and I wonder if this is an Eddie Jones thing, but they finished last in the Tri-Nations that year because they basically threw half the games. So they, they beat Australia with a pretty strong team out in the first game. Francois Stain coming on and dropping two goals in the last 10 minutes to win it, to win it 22-19, one to equalise, then one to put them ahead. And then after that, they then change, they keep a lot, some of the team together to play New Zealand and they narrowly lose that, but with a few changes in the team. So Havana doesn't play, for example, but they still pick Matfield and Bolter and a lot of the first choice players. And then after that, from there on out, they pick straight second teams the rest of the way. They pick second teams for the away games against New Zealand and Australia. So there are players in this team that I, I've never heard of Bevin Fortown. I don't know who that is. Brayton Paulson. I don't know who that is. Oh, Brayton Paulson was oh, no great way. player. Oh, Brayton, oh, no, no, sorry. Yep, the no, winger, yeah. Yeah, yeah, no. <laughs> no, I... I yep. Barbarian legend, Brayton Paulson. Yep, no, I, I, I take that back. <laughs> Derek Hugar was at 10. Remember Derek Hugar? Oh, wow. Hugar? I do remember. You know, <laughs> it's like, it's that tier of like, they properly rotate the team out. And in some positions, they've got players like Yanni Duplessis and you know, Johan Muller and so on to come in. Like a very young Ruin Pinar winning mm. his like fourth cap yeah. coming in. But in others, it is it is Derek Hugar playing his final few games for the box just so they don't have to risk books James getting injured. And then you get to Samoa and they turn out this team. Like, well, uh, yes. they're never losing this, are they? But that's the... They then, right, they're the, they then play a warm-up game against Namibia, which they won 105-13, which, interestingly, was refereed by Jonathan Kaplan, who is a South African. So oh. make what you will of that. Must be half um, Namibian. Yes. I love that... So the, the, the score was nil-nil for 10 minutes. Oh, no, the score... Sorry. sorry, Namibia scored first. So, oh, no way. Uh, they were, at one point, 7-0 up. And then Jean de Villiers scores, a, scores an interception try to equalise. And from there on out, it's one-way traffic. <laughs> like, for the next 70 minutes, it's just... That must have been great for Namibia, though, the, the first try. So, yeah, if they could have stopped the count there, that would have been ideal. But I oh, only. Uh, so, they then what... also beat Connacht in a warm-up game as well, just before <laughs> heading over. Oh, thank goodness. Imagine if they lost that. <laughs> yeah, I didn't even know they played Connacht, to be honest. But the, the one thing I do remember from that match against Namibia is that mm. Ruan Pinot played Flahoff for the Springboks, and uh, mm. he would play Flahoff after the World Cup as well. But uh, Jake White compared him to Stephen Larkin after the match and said that... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and he said uh, he wished that uh, he was going to be the Springbok coach after the World Cup so that uh, he could breathe in, play this team with Ron Pinot, Because uh, I don't know yeah. if you guys know this, but Jake was pretty much uh, out of the job heading into the World Cup. It was his last year. Was, yeah. he, was it he was kind of forced out and not being offered the position again? Yeah, there was a lot of politics. Um, and oh, of course, it's the peace of stuff around, the, uh, Yeah. Cheeky Watson. No, it was a lot of stuff with Cheeky Watson, uh, Luke Watson, uh, oh. and he oh. him. Yeah. And he, he was to- told to pick Lolly Tulasika as well, um, a flank that was going for Scott Berger's position. And uh, Jake told him, and he told SA Rugby he won't pick them. So, yeah, a lot of stuff that I was a bit too young to understand and remember. But yeah, yeah. that's the little bit that I did pick up. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, it's. A classic, it's one of these that I remember like before, back in sort of 2017-ish, watching Sia Khaleesi play and going, oh, they should just make him captain. 
Mm. And like, he's playing really well. He should be the captain and not realizing the huge ramifications and significance of that. You know, it's one of those things sometimes as an outsider, you miss just how much politics Mm. and just how much matters, like how many small details there are that need to be considered in South African rugby. Yeah. No, exactly that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you want to look at some more? Let's. Let's. So my kind of view on this team is it's a really good squad they have out. Mm. But to me, it feels like the startings of the 2011 team, which we covered before, which to me, like when I think of the great, greatest kind of era of Samoan rugby, I think of 2011. Like, yeah. and I think of that squad they had at them that beat the Wallabies and so on and pushed the Springboks to, what, eight points of beating them in the pool stage. And that was like a seriously nail-biting game for the Springboks that we covered in 2011 series. But so a lot of the players from here eventually carry on over to there. So you've got the likes of Dan Leo, Kane Thompson, Junior Polu, Eliotta Fumanisapolu, and of course, Alessandro Tuolangi. Yes. Um, so there's a lot of those players, but most of them, like there's a lot of them that are playing in either the Championship or Pro Data that would then go on to get bigger contracts after this. Yeah. Up. And there's a lot of them that are, I mean, so when you look over the Samoan squad, right? So the most experienced player in that team is Lome Fatai, the winger, who was at Glasgow at the time and has 21 caps. And he's the most experienced player in that team, other than Brian Lima, who's, you know, on the bench. But he also had, was unattached. He'd been released by each of his clubs and was kind of just retiring after this World Cup and didn't have anyone, you know, anything else going on. But of the starting 15, it's then that, then Mahon Rushaga had 17 caps. And it's very much a younger side and also a side who wasn't getting many chances to play Test Rugby together as well. Yeah. And I think some of that shows, even though when the team sheet came up and, oh, Mm -hmm. as I say, it's very close to that team that would go on to be very special but it's them kind of learning and learning a lot about discipline in themselves <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of players who go on to do great things isn't it like yeah. this like, is a there's a young joe takiori i was about squad. to bring him yeah. up yeah that, that was the one name that stood out for me and like i went and googled it afterwards because i thought yes he must have been about 17 here and he's 24 <laughs> <laughs> he retired last year 2022 yeah. he retired yeah and yeah even then he he seemed old i think he was he's 39 now like he was playing well into his 30s and yeah and, and he played very well yeah he was a legend of Toulouse cast and yeah it's a shame he didn't get to about 100 test caps for for Samoa but yeah and he doesn't he looks exactly the same he just looks a little yes. like he's added a bit of weight to that yeah. <laughs> he was a young foot Joe to Corey. <laughs> that <laughs> Brilliant player, though. Like, I want to describe him as an athletic second row, but I feel like that's underselling him because he's he yeah. is a centre who wears four, essentially. Yes. <laughs> Unbelievably skillful talent he is. Yeah, partnering Kane Thompson in the second row, who is someone who's played across the back five at super rugby level, who's, you know, a really good operator, but I imagine quite inexperienced at this point. Of course, at number eight, they've got Henry Tuolangi, who is a brilliant ball carrier. Can't say he's the fittest player in the world, but you would not want him running into you. I can tell you that much. No, no, I think you can yeah. say that very safely. They have this... the conversation inevitably about, oh, the two Alangis, the new Jonah Lomus, which I'd forgotten was a big deal then, but they kept talking yeah. about it. Yeah. He also, the commentator also says at one point, the two, or Alex Tuolangis, they call him, the brother of, then he pauses for a moment and goes, all the Tuolangis. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> Manu, we've not seen yet. Yeah. There's one point where Henry Tuolangi takes a ball in the backfield and he just charges straight into the nearest Springbok, right? And like getting a positive carry against the Springbok team is a victory in itself. And he does that. Like he gets beyond somebody and then throws this random blind offload and the Springboks take the ball. At that point, it takes Henry Tuolangi 18 seconds to get back into the defensive line. <laughs> He just walks, standing, watching his teammates defend. And he's clearly shattered from running for 20 metres. But I suppose if you can charge up that much power, it must really take it out of you. Yeah. Yeah. So, And I, I also found it remarkable that uh, Samoa were like under pressure, like outside of the like first two scrums, I think. And after that, um, Samoa really under the pump in the scrums. Yeah. And... To a leg, he just has straight arms at number eight. Like, he is not scrummaging. He just wants the ball to come out so he can run. <laughs> he gets like penalised at one point for not binding at all because he just yes. isn't in the scrum. He's just waiting as a second scrum off. Yeah, it's like that's the best part of playing number eight. You get like to stick your head in there and like scrummage a little bit and uh, you're adding your weight. <laughs> but he, he's like, no way. He's in straight arms and he's going to push a little bit until the ball gets to his feet and then he's out of there. <laughs> I want to so, add one last note on the hmm. Samoa team is Brian Lima is playing in his fifth World Cup here when he yes. comes on. So to ever that's do it. wild to think that at this point, 1987 was the only World Cup he did, hadn't played in. Jesus, at this point. yeah, you're right. So oh, wow. that shit show that we covered, he avoided and so, he played in every World Cup <laughs> since yeah. then up to 2007. Brian Lima still played in more World Cups than he hasn't. Yes. Well. Wow. That's extraordinary. <laughs> That's amazing. But yeah, it was a weird Samoa team at the time who were kind of very much finding their place. So they'd, they played a Pacific Nations or like tournament before this World Cup where they lost to a junior All Blacks team, right? But then you look at the junior All Blacks team and you go, oh, it's a bloody good team. This kind of like New Zealand under 23s as it was, including Corey Jane, Rick O'Gear, uh, Marty Holler, Oh, wow. uh, Jimmy Cowan, Stephen Donald, Casey Laulala, Scott Hamilton, John Afoa, Kieran Reed on the flank. Like Jerome Kino was on the bench. Andy Ellis also on the bench. Dan Britt. Like it's a completely ridiculous, incredibly good New Zealand team when you look back at it. But at the time it was a bit like, oh, they should be beating this young, you know, kind of youngsters who haven't had much Super Rugby game time. But they lost there. They then, in what looks like an absolutely thrilling fixture... They beat Fiji 8-5, which must have been a hell of a game at Appiah Park. It's very easy to imagine the kind of horrible conditions there. <laughs> they, again, lost to Australia A, who had, like, again, Pelota now, like a very young Curtly Beale, 17-year-old Curtly Beale playing for them. <laughs> and then narrowly beat Japan as well before going directly before this tournament. They went, right, we're, we're heading over to the UK or to the Europe. Let's play a few warm-up games against clubs in the UK. So they then lost 22-21 to Harlequins at the Stoop. They narrowly beat Northampton 24-22 for last-minute kick and then beat Sale 26-7. Bear in mind, they were all like middle table or lower end. So Northampton had like been relegated a year or two before this. Saracens had finished mid-table. Sale had obviously finished sick because they finished sick every year. I didn't even check that. <laughs> but it wasn't like... A historic level Samoa team. As I say, it was very much a young side who was slowly, they were slowly starting to blood because they could be something. 
Yeah, and I think that you look at like them beating Northampton with a last minute kick. You look at this squad of players and think like, oh, they're probably above that. But as you say, like this is this is the start of something, isn't it? And uh, yeah, you'd imagine that these players at the peak of their powers would have actually put a score on like a Northampton team at this point or whatever. You'd, you'd think, you'd hope, but there we go. It was yeah, Northampton had just been promoted from the championship that year. Oh, okay, okay. So, yeah, it was not particularly a bit. They'd been relegated, not a particularly vintage Northampton team. Yeah, not them at the height of their powers. Yeah, no. So yeah, so an interesting little thing. But should we get into the game itself? Is that enough? Preamble. Oh, can, we, can we speak about the anthems before the match? Oh, of course. yes, of course. Yes, <laughs> that I thought was brilliant. Yeah, they start playing the South African anthem, and the French camera crew have gone and. Zoomed straight up on the entire Samoan scene, <laughs> which I thought was <laughs> just hilarious. Yeah, and there is a point where like somebody stood on the end, it kind of like eyeballs the camera, is kind of like, "What do you want me to do here? Do you want, do you want, do you want me to hold my hand on heart at the South African anthem? Like, you're not getting your money yeah. shot here, pal." Exactly, and the whole camera um, setup of of the in the entire game was like just mind blowing for me. Like I haven't, I don't know if it was quite the same with the older games that you guys watch, but uh, mm. I think the last old game I watched was the World Fifteen play against the All Blacks. Oh uh, yeah, when they sent proper World Fifteen down, and um, like watching this game, like the random close-ups that they did before the match was just it, it was really really weird, like. At one point, they zoom right up onto CJ van der Linde, and you can just see all of his love handles. And I thought, the poor bloke. <laughs> <laughs> He's getting his love handles shown off to the entire world, dummy. <laughs> <laughs> Who wouldn't want to see it, though? Yeah. There's, yeah. there's also a, a point where they show fan. a player on the, fo- on the phone as well during yeah. the warm-up. I'm yes. not sure who it was, but... That was surprising. Yeah. That's, again, something you don't expect to see on a rugby They field. also have a weird, like, 80s porno jazz soundtrack at the start. <laughs> like, yes. as the intro music. <laughs> yes. No, that, that I thought was brilliant as well. And uh, just a little uh, mention to, to my wife while we were watching this. I, I put this on and shame bless her. She doesn't, she doesn't follow the rugby too well, but... Uh, She's looking at the players lining up, and uh, her maiden's uh, name was Berger. So she spots Scott Berger, and she it's a big joke that uh, oh, no, there's my uncle. <laughs> and uh, so she always, she tries to pick out the players that she knows, and uh, I point at Victor Matfield, and I said to her, oh, no, you should know him. And she's like, no, 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 I don't know him. And I said, no, it's Victor Matfield. And she says, oh, I didn't know you played for the Springboks. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, just once or twice. No. Mm. Yeah, just once or twice. Not like he's the leading uh, test cap holder for this one. Right? Uh, he, da- <laughs> he dabbled in his rugby. Um, yeah, yeah. He may have accidentally ended up becoming one of the greatest second race weapons, yeah. but you know. Yeah, just one of those things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It happens. It happens to all of us, doesn't it? Especially yourself, Jared. You know. Um, yeah. 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 Some on anthem, very good. Players reduce the, the tears. Good, but the Civitao. Mm. Oh my! What God. a Civitao, man! Bloody yes. hell! I. So first and foremost, right? I love the Civitao. I think yeah. that I think we've said this before on the pod, but I have to say, if I was to pick a favorite of all of the war dancers that happen in rugby, it has to be the Civitao. It's just incredible every time. Like the amount of 
passion that goes into it. And th- as the commentators said, like, it feels like you get a slight representation of their whole culture just mm, by watching mm. them do this one dance. Mm. Yeah, he it's says incredible. it does it far better than the anthem. And it's like, yeah, because yes. you can't threaten to kill someone in an anthem. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> like, it's, Wales I try felt... when they sing Delilah, but like, <laughs> it's not the official anthem, is it? <laughs> I felt like they were about to break through my screen and kill me. It yeah, was incredible. Yeah. And you know what I was welcoming? I was thinking, yeah, please do. You know, you were allowed to do it. You, it's it's just amazing. And the I... way that they they essentially have it in the Civitao, where they, they essentially call out the opposition. And you, you're right. It looks like, I mean, I don't speak Samoan, but it looks like they're just saying, we're about to murder you. So get ready, lads. What and and what I also found ridiculous, and I think it's uh, Ben Toon that was commentating mm-hmm. at the time, he said, oh no, this Samoan team is much smaller than the Samoan teams of the past. And <laughs> then all of a sudden they're doing, they're doing um, their haka or the civitao, and they would look terrific. Like they, you would not want to face up to those guys. Like it's, <laughs> when, when you watch it now, like in the modern Samoans do it, like, they don't look half as big as this team with the two leggies in their yeah. prime. Mm. Uh, it's, it's scary. I, I I was frightened through my screen, to be honest. Yeah, like, yeah, I was like, yeah. Wow. yeah. And Brian Lehman people, was leading it, wasn't he? Like, yeah. Well, people uh, always talk about, like, the hacker, does it give people an advantage or whatever because you get to intimidate the opponent? And really it doesn't. Like, it's a nice bit of, mm-hmm. like, traditionalism and so on. But I doubt if I was an international player facing the, the hacker, you're particularly intimidated. But this, this, this. Yes. the thing is, you're right, because there is such there's a legacy like, surrounding the hacker. Yeah. Of like, you know, the, like people mm. pay to come to matches so they can watch the hacker. And it's such a big thing that people get excited for. And they go, oh, yes, I can't wait to stare it down. And people think about it. People go into test matches against Samoa, Tonga and Fiji. And I think a lot of them forget until they've done the anthems. Like, oh, right. Yeah, we've got to face this. And like, they aren't like as familiar with mm. it. And you look at this and just think, Jesus Christ. Like, I would be yeah. immediately like saying like, oh, well, I've done my hamstring. Can I go on the bench, yeah. please? <laughs> this is the difference between me and Bucky's daughter. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I he loved it. There would be a little puddle in the middle of the pitch where I had pissed myself. <laughs> Bucky, with Bucky's daughter, he goes, brilliant. Can we get to the first ruck now? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and like almost immediately, Bort has picked a fight. Like it takes yeah. like two minutes for him to turn the ruck into a scrap. It's great. Like he properly sees us as finally my people. It says a lot about these both of these teams, right? I eventually did a tally on how many fights there were in the game. Anyone oh, want fantastic. anyone want to guess how many? It'll be double Oof. figures. Yeah, I I, I would probably go at about because I, I documented every time Bucky's had a little uh, scuffle um, I didn't <laughs> tell him up but I've got the whole list here of as the match went through and uh, I would say Bucky's probably caused about eight of them so I would say about 17 16 okay. 17 <laughs> okay 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 I was gonna go lower than that initially but I feel no let's let's go for about 15 11 11 okay Oh well, okay. Which, but <laughs> it it's makes a lot sense of they're ninety percent backies. Yeah, 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 <laughs> and and that that checks out. Like backies was very much doing his job, like yeah. starting fights and in every single case winning said fights. Yeah, you know Even that does mean where... that there is a fight every seven minutes in this game. Yeah, well, there's, yes. there's <laughs> one of the really early ones that he picks with it. I think it's Dan Leo. Yes, of course it's Dan Leo. Yeah. <laughs> well, well, we're like so. Leo punches him 
And I then went back and was watching it back. And I was like, surely there must be like, because there's obviously nothing's given because it's, you know, before TMOs, <laughs> before yeah. people care. There's a TMO in this. <laughs> yeah. But it's before <laughs> TMOs could check foul plays. Yeah, thing, could only step in on tries. Oh, and wow. the, the poor old um, referee had a really horrible task of like watching all of these fights and thinking like, how do I get them to stop doing it? <laughs> And so, like, the, yeah, Bota, I went back to watch it, and I was like, surely, because there's a red card offence against Leo, I'll watch it again, because there must be, like, Bota must have done something at least yellow card worthy. But he doesn't, it's just he's so annoying. Like, he's just kind of, like, tweaking people and doing, like, things. He knows exactly where the line is. He is standing on it, but not taking a toe over it. It's genuinely incredibly impressive to watch just the yeah. way he winds people up. Mm. There's a point where Junior Polu jumps to take a high ball and mm. Scott Berger essentially has a swinging arm go round his head to take him in the air. And Junior Polu's not the biggest man in stature. Scott Berger is the biggest man in stature. So <laughs> takes him like, he leaps like five foot in the air and Berger is essentially just running into him. And like, does a swing on? It probably would be a red card these days, but without any hesitation. Probably. It definitely would be a red card. Yeah, it definitely would be a red card these days, right? But without any hesitation, Joe Takoro just turns around and punches him in the face. Yes. <laughs> and and in that scuffle, like on the floor, like the, the video camera's uh, angles weren't great either, but there must have been at least in that ruck, uh, well, yeah, I say a ruck that happened after Berger clotheslined him in the air there's about like five fifths uh, fifth flying from the basic image i can see there must have been that, that game could have quite easily have turned into the 95 canada south africa ga- game where we saw like three yellow cards and two red cards and could have quite easily have been that five minutes into this match <laughs> And what I will add That's is like, that if, if all of the correct cards were given in this game, the only player left on the field would have been Brian Habana. So I feel like the, the score would have been exactly the same. And somehow Baki Bota. <laughs> somehow he would have got away with it. I don't know how. <laughs> But it's like, that's the really impressive thing. It's like, you look at the first few minutes of the game, right? And like, for immediately in the kickoff, Samoa throw about three really ambitious passes in a row. And like, oh, Samoa have come to play. Like, not well, because they do all go forward and get knocked on. <laughs> but like, they've come to play. And then immediately, there's a ruck, and Leo and Bota start a fight. And you're like, well, no, they've come to fight. They've mostly, like, they want yeah. to play if they can, but mostly they've come it's to It's really fight. interesting, though, because I think that the rucks in this game looked really different from the rucks in the other games we've covered from 2007 so far. Mm. If that makes sense. Like, it feels like every ruck has, like, yeah, a mini fight in it somewhere. Uh, it's, <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant television, because, like, thing. you can't complain about slow ball because you've got, like, a mini, like, entertaining, like, um, mini game going on at the side there's a bit where um there's just been a fight and the referee calls the two captains over and is like we need less of this whatever and then as um who's the small captain as he walks back to his team so tt as well what a shithouse he really lives up to this game you can imagine what his team talk was just like yeah look they've got Bucky's border on on their team let's just fight he gets back after the warning right he gets back to the huddle and you, he says nothing. And then you hear the other film on Sapoli walk in and go, discipline boys. <laughs> <laughs> like that is a drop in the ocean. No one is noticing. And, and him, uh, the, 
Kulu, the, the the scrum off is just as much of a shit house as any other scrum off from yeah. the, from this time. Like he he's constantly doing something. I think he even rolls a Bucky's Buerta and Buerta like just taps him on the head and like, okay, cool, you you're not worth my time and just carries on. <laughs> I'm but, pretty sure he yeah. slaps Victor Matfield at some point, Polo. Yes. Yeah, exactly that. And uh, like I, I, I thought I got my notes mixed up, mixed up here. But Berger almost decapitated somebody, and then went and made that tackle in the air. Like Berger could have been off in this match quicker than Bucky's Porter, which is saying something. <laughs> so, <laughs> and also the the other thing that I have here, and they even got a replay of this thing, and they didn't have too many replays going on this match, but. Uh, Butch James absolutely scars a um, ruck clean, clean out. Like, he comes charging in from nowhere. And as, like, per James' form, he doesn't have his arms or anything. And he absolutely misses it entirely and just goes straight off over the ruck. <laughs> and they showed a replay of that. And I just thought, wow. <laughs> and it was actually for a knock-on that they were looking at. Oh, no, is there a knock-on there? And you just see James flying over the ruck the whole time. <laughs> There was a couple of points where I thought, like, why are you two having a fight over a forward pass? Like, <laughs> yeah. sometimes that is it. Like, something really minor happens and there's, there's somehow one, it leads to a fight. There's one point in the yeah. game where Semo Satiti comes in the ruck from the gate. And I thought I'd mention that because it's easier than mentioning all the times he doesn't. Yes. <laughs> he's constantly yes. just playing in the side and smashing There people. is one really and it's like, clever... I don't think he does anything legal over the entire game really clever piece of cheating he does don't get me wrong it doesn't really matter because the springboks go on to win by 50 points but when it's nil nil there's a point where the springboks get a penalty five meters out from the Samoan line and brian habana picks the ball up ready to run towards the marks to take it quickly while the Samoans are still retreating and this is like after the penalty's been blown or whatever and satiti goes over and tackles habana before he's taken the quick tap <laughs> because that way he can't he can't take it habana being the quickest player would be able to quick tick tap and score the try whilst everyone's retreating if not then you know get a not 10 penalty potentially penalty try yellow card whatever and tt just tackles him early and the referee doesn't penalize him for it and therefore you know that's quite a smart bit of play because he does it just after the whistle's gone so he can do the whole like oh sorry i was committed thing when actually he knew what he was doing and at that point south africa went for goal montgomery kicks it it's three nil rather than seven nil if this match was close that would be a really good bit of cheating in the end it didn't matter <laughs> so the the referee, right, was Paul Honnis of New Zealand, mm. who in his next game of this World Cup, Argentina against Ireland, will equal Devil, Derek Bevan's record for most test matches refereed at this point. Oh, wow. And it does not show that this is the most experienced referee in the game. No. Yeah. <laughs> Bless him. As I say, it's a tough gig, this. Yeah. yeah. As as shown previously discussed with Nigel Owens on this but same fixture in 2011. Like, he's got the... There was a thing when I, you know, before the squidge thing took off and whatever, mm. I used to work in classrooms a lot. I'd go and do a lot of like presentations in schools and so on. It was part of my job. And one of my, like, the, what I developed as my best strategy for calming down a class that had got like too, you know, talkative and whatever, is I would pause mid-sentence and just look at whoever was making the noise. And if you stopped and you were silent and weren't trying to talk over them, eventually they felt embarrassed and stopped. Mm. And that was Honest's approach to try and stop shithousery, was he would stand there at the side and just stare at them and hope they'd stop. Except there was 30 of them and they were having 15 individual fights. <laughs> and so and one, no, one of them was Backies who would stare him down. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, like all the stories of Backies, Borta and Murad Bujaral, like, come on, he can do that to a referee as well. Yeah, if he can intimidate one of the <laughs> richest men in France, he can intimidate some poor little guy from New Zealand. 
And I, I don't know if you watched the little uh, show that they had before the game, but uh, they spoke about owners wanting players uh, to talk to him and that the World Rugby referee at the time didn't want him to do that because it's back chat. And then he spends the whole game like waiting for the players to speak to him <laughs> and, and then chat. And then when they do, they either just keeps quiet and looks at him like that, or especially with the Samoans, he just chases them away. And yeah, like good communication, <laughs> go away. <laughs> As I say, to, to like in a game this physical, like so many huge hits going in as well, both legal and illegal. Like to mm. be fair, right? If I was in his situation, if I was in his shoes and a really angry Kane Thompson came up to me, I would want him to go away as well. Yeah, yeah. I wouldn't want to be in front Leave of him for alone. much longer. I don't yeah. want his attention. It's very clear that neither of these teams enjoy going backwards. And look, nobody no. does. But Mm-mm. it's like there's a point early on where Danny Rosso takes a carry and you can tell how used to going forward he is because he gets smashed backwards by Census Johnston. And he just kind of has this look on his face of like, oh, what? That doesn't usually happen. Yeah, exactly. And your poor Butch James also got melted as yes. well in the 13th minute. He, I think it was to a laggy that absolutely smashed mm-hmm. him. And uh, yeah, one of the things that became clear in the match is that... Uh, Victor Matfield was going to play a big role in this match. and Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mentioned earlier about players, like uh, you, you remember things about players and you hope that like it stands up when you look back at these matches. And the whole time, like the first one, I said, Matfield, line out gold. And that gold just turns into line out God for the rest of the match. <laughs> because it, it, it was just his game. Like I thought he was yeah. incredible throughout, actually. I think he's probably the greatest second row of all time on opposition ball. Like, stealing lineup ball, I don't think there's ever been a better lineup forward. I don't think there's anyone that comes close. But he was also outstanding on his own ball as well. Like, to say that almost does down how good he was at all aspects of the lineup. And he was a great lineup caller as well. Like, he wasn't. It's that thing Mm. of you could look over how many ever great, you know, the Lions in 2001, England in 2015, the Red Roses last year, where the lineup caller called it to himself at the most important lineup. Yeah. Victor Matfield wasn't like that. He was smart enough to know when to call it elsewhere and when to put it on himself and, you know, how to use himself. He was just, he was the greatest lineup operator there's ever been. I don't think that's a very controversial Mm. take. No, no. no. Yeah, amazing in this game. I mean, it's so it's, I did write it down. I think it's like, 60 minutes before Samoa win a line-out, and it's their fourth line-out. Yes. That's yeah. ridiculous. And I, I think I think they only won two the whole game. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's insane yeah. that the top line-out taker for Samoa line-outs was Victor Matfield. Like, <laughs> yeah. it says a lot about how this game went. Like, the, the um, thing is, because you think about, I mean, we'll do man of the match contention later on. I didn't actually write down Victor Matfield, but I feel like I should have because he's such a big part in them winning this game because the kicking game was good, South Africa, and they could back it up because every time there was a line-out, there were at least 50-50 odds of them winning it back. Yeah. Yeah, like the one thing that shocked me is uh, I forgot that you could pass the ball back into your 22 and kick it out during this World Cup. So, like, they pass the ball back to Montgomery early on and he kicks the ball out and I'm like, oof. That's a rubbish kick from Montgomery, and <laughs> they go off to halfway, and I'm like, oh, okay, it's not actually that bad. I forgot about this. And yeah. then it just becomes a great kick because they go to the lineout, they throw the lineout, and Matfield just gets his claws on it and takes it. <laughs> and, and you speak about Matfield being a great lineout operator, and like 
this uh, like he didn't even get to use this line out properly because I mean the entire back row of um, the Springboks in this match are all line out jumpers and wow, like, that yeah. doesn't happen often. Like the the full five at the back all jump in the line out. You don't often wow. see that in in Test rugby. No, you really don't. Mm. Um, yeah, combined yeah with and I think there are issues with the Samoan line out. Sure, um, yes. but I do you know like I. I think there does need to be some criticism of them, but I'm happy to heap like 90% of the praise on Victor Matfield and on, yeah. you know, that that company. Because it is just, it's extraordinary. So the final stats, right? Samoa wins six out of 17 lineouts. Ooh. That's Whereas brutal. South Africa win nine out of nine. <laughs> that's oh. unheard of. I, I, and there can't be many test matches where that's been the case. Six yes. out of 17. Like that's, that's what... Th- Basically, a third of the lineouts yeah. they're winning. Yeah, yeah, and I think Bucky Sporty even wins one. And later in the game, when he does go off the pitch, they bring Johan Muller on. So it's <laughs> like the lineout got any better for Samoa. Like you're taking off like a, a great enforcer, but you bring you're adding Johan Muller, who's probably the second or third best lineout caller the Springboks has ever had, and go and yeah. add him to the best one that they've ever had. <laughs> <laughs> It's really quite overpowered at that point. Yeah. Stoppy's yeah. already dead territory. <laughs> yeah, exactly. The, so Samoa do get, and it's really, I think it's the only time in the game they win two lineups in a row that they get at field. They then, you know, get at field again. And I think South Africa are so surprised at the fact that Samoa won the ball twice that they just let Gavin Williams scoot through yeah. the score. They just forget like, to defend. Yes. It's a really well run set move, in fairness. Yeah. Yes. So the move that they run is they've got EFS at 10 with Mia Fowl and Williams in the centres. Thomas Apollo hits Mirfow and loops around him and really does sell. He his sells own, guys out the back. He, the he runs. Yeah, he runs. Or Joe a good Hawkins, line. as I prefer to say now. Mm. Of course, like of that, course. Like looking at um, someone else, you drop the pass off the guy you're going to. Mm. Williams's mm. line inwards is fantastic. So oh. Mirfow hits Williams on the short ball rather than. Phil Marisopolo at the back who's running that loop. And South Africa clearly expecting EFS to take it out of the back. But that said, extremely poor defence by Jean de Villiers to instead double up on Mirafal rather than actually pushing off onto Williams. I I think it's poor defence by today's standards. I think it was quite standard then. Yes. And we see it happen a few times then. And it was how teams defended. You didn't have that and, kind of triple job. And that's that it. You often that's see it. nowadays. Like it, you would expect JDV to, to double job there. But that said, as you say, in 2007, I, the focal point of that try is very much Williams's line was terrific. Yeah. Uh, and the timing on the pass was spot on. I think. But I thought the, uh, the commentators undersold the try as well. Like they said, yeah. they, hmm. they hopped on on how bad the Springbok defense was for it. But I, I thought it was actually quite great. Like the, hmm. the line and the lateness of how he ran and just, it, it was a good try. And that try could be scored by today's standards. Like it yeah. could quite easily happen. For sure. Nowadays. Yeah. And like, given how good Williams' line was, like, <clears throat> how often do you see people run those lines and drop that ball because they're expecting it to go at the back? Yeah. Like, it's something that happens all yes. the time. And yet he runs that line to perfection and takes the pass. And it's a really, like, well-running try. Like, they, they take it really, really well. And that's the first try of the game. Granted, they're already nine points down at that point, so it's 9-7. But, yeah, it's the first try of the game, well, and it's a really exciting moment. That was the interesting thing, because Jake White says before the game that he felt the important thing was the first 20 minutes. And if they get through that, then some, they'll start to, you know, some start to fall apart a bit. I think as the commentator that they're he feels like they'll lose they lose interest in the game if they're 
they're not in it after 20 minutes but white very much is like no the key is the tw- first 20 minutes and hence why south africa kicked the penalties the first 20 minutes and after that they start going for the court yes. and they start kind of yeah you know start to open things back even when the game is still in contention a bit but it's very much just like trying to set that trying to get somewhere out of the game trying to like take the confidence away from them and then open up and when they get to the 19th minute samoa score their try and it did feel a bit like, and then they have a bit of a run out immediately after that, and they kind of look like they're in the yeah, game. Yeah, they turn it over and, kinda, in the 22 and get a bit of momentum. Yeah. The first 20 minutes, it feels like there's only one winner. Um, yeah. And for the rest of the game, it feels like there's only one winner. But there's sort of three or four minutes around that 20 minute mark, mm. around that kind of magical number that Jake White pulled out of thin air, where it feels a bit like, oh, actually, this is a game. It, it was mm. almost like they were trying to curse him. Like, yeah, some other score. And then they, they look a bit more like they would immediately after the try. Okay, so, can we go back to the trial before we carry on with that? Is, go for it. I, yeah, I, I'm going to jump ahead with it, though. But I just found mm. it elite shithousery. And I bet you Jay, uh, Eddie Jones had a part in it. <laughs> the South Africans scored the exact same trial that Samoa yes, scored against yes. in the second half. <laughs> and it's, Jacques Ferry, yeah. Yeah, Jacques Ferry scores. And it's the same thing. They had Francois staying at inside center at that stage. But he threw that pass for Jacques Ferry. And it's exactly the same try from the yeah. line outs. Blow by blow. I think it was even in the same part of the pitch because they had switched sides and everything, mm, obviously, course. as well. So <laughs> I, 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 that just had Eddie Jones written all over it when I, when <laughs> I saw that. Yeah. At halftime, well, so if they can do it, yeah. Yeah. It's when you've got to look at a bit of shithousery and you go, is that Eddie shithousery or Razzie shithousery? <laughs> yes. Like, yes. And that is yes. an Eddie shithouse move. Yeah, yes, yeah. Exactly. But yeah, so Samoan kickoffs, right? So they concede that first penalty to Montgomery, go up to halfway. Gavin Williams is taking the kickoffs and you know what? Really smartly plays a short little grubbered one, which Samoa mm. dive on, retain possession. And they managed to like have a, a bit of a runabout with it. Like mm. there's a point in there where Henry Tuolangi bounces Rousseau, which is a good moment in itself. Right. But then when South could get to six nil up, Samoa go, okay, okay. Well, it worked last time. Let's just do it again. And they do another grubbered kickoff. And I think like, okay, weird, weird one to use that as a tactic rather than just doing it once to keep them honest or whatever. And they keep doing it. Like, it's like a deliberate thing. I don't and know if it's one of those things you see at amateur level where just no one can yes. take a good kickoff. So they just yeah. keep rubbering it. I and, don't and the know. thing is, is I wasn't convinced that Gavin Williams was actually dropping it. Like, I don't believe that the ball bounced on most of his kickoffs. <laughs> like, and, and like you said, the, the, uh, the image quality wasn't as great as what we expect nowadays. Mm. And I keep trying to have a look. And the whole time, I just couldn't get it. And you, you spoke about that uh, bounce from Antoni Rousseau. And what I loved about him, and again, another player that's just highlighting how he was and your perception of him is he gets bounced and then gets back up and I think it's about five seconds later and he makes an absolute massive hit on a, another Samoan and yeah it was, it was another guy that just impressed me like that and mm. yeah John John Smith as well like every single oh. contact he goes into he just absolutely smashes the guy yeah it's I one thing I really like about a lot of members of this Springbok pack. Like when they've come up against a pack mm. this massive and this physical, when they get bounced or get smashed in a tackle, they take it really personally in a way yes. of like, that's not happening to me mm. again. Like I'm getting yeah. you back next time. And I think that is like, not to kind of overgeneralize, but I think that is kind of like the mentality that the Springboks, certainly forward packs have had like through the years is like, mm. if, you're, if you smash me once, you will never ever smash me twice. And that massively helps them out with that thing of like the second half, them just blowing them away. 
I think that's yeah. a big difference between the two teams is that both of them have that kind of, as you say, like taking it very personally when things don't go their mm. way. Mm. But Samoa would then pick a fight immediately afterwards. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Whereas South Africa were going, actually, just the next contact, the next time we do this again, smash in a ruck. it's going yeah. my way. Yeah, I'm smashing yeah. the next ruck. Next time I end up opposite you, you are mm. g- going 20 meters backwards then on the ground very hard. Whereas Samoa go, you know, what? I'm just going to punch you now. I'm not waiting around. <laughs> <laughs> and in many ways, in many ways, I understand the appeal of both sides but one of them is the better approach in a rugby match and it, you can tell this springbok side is as disciplined and experienced and well coached as they are for sure for like sure. i think that's a big telling is they've learned to channel the aggression that both sides very much have in mm. you know both sides have massive packs who are incredibly aggressive and incredibly talented but one side is really well coached and drilled and smart and yeah. the other side is full of youngsters who are coming together for the first time and have scarcely played international rugby yeah yeah Mm. there's one really fun point that I enjoyed where Fatatau gets the ball on the wing and it's his first run with the ball and he, he looks quite excited to get it and he thinks right okay here we go I've got Brian Habana in front of me I'm going to take him on the outside I know what world class <laughs> player he is I'm going to give it a go and then as soon as he tries it Habana just like not only reveals that he's a lot quicker than him, but Habana is insanely strong. So yeah. holds him up mm. and just carries him sideways towards the touchline. And Fatatau goes, okay, yeah, fair enough. And just throws the ball behind his back. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, yeah, fair enough. I gave it a go, but you know, no, no, you shut, shut me down. Fair enough. I've been in a room with Brian Habana and it's easy to miss just how big he is. Like, yes. he's a bloody big guy. Yeah, I was once in the same yeah. room as him and Ugo Monia. And all the rest of it, everyone else in that room seemed like they didn't exist, except for Sarah Elgin, who was also in the room and has more presence than anyone else you'll ever meet. <laughs> she is tiny, but like everyone knows she's there. Like you can't help but find your eyes drawn to her. She's got some sort of like weird magnetism, but that's a, that's another thing. It's natural TV charisma. Basically, Brian Havana is big. I didn't yeah. mean to do like accidental lots of name dropping. And Steve. and that was uh, a big thing before this World Cup is that the, he was criticised for being too small for the Spring Oh, you're and, joking uh, me. And uh, he actually bulked up before this World Cup and right. lost, a bit of, lost a bit of pace, believe it or not. It doesn't look like it in, the, in this no. game, but uh, he lost a touch of pace. And uh, yeah, I think Jake White uh, also wanted him to, to bulk up a bit and... Been tuned saying on the comment. Oh no, it's just uh, it's just the underpaddings that make him look a bit bigger. <laughs> he he grew up as a scrum half though, didn't he, Habana? So yes, yeah. yeah. And you could the thing is like I think you can really tell like when you see him play because mm. he has that mm. kind of instinct of like he can spot space from anywhere on the field and he has a really good pass on him and that's what kind of separates him from a lot of other like speed style wingers. Can we talk mm. about his first try? Yes. Oh, yes. I mean, the, so this was a few months after he'd done the famous race with Cheetah. That was in the April of 2007, okay. a few before this tournament. The, the note on the Wikipedia page, because I wanted to check when that was in relation to this, was it before or after? And it has, he lost because Cheetahs can run with a top speed of 170 miles an hour instead of 22 miles an hour. <laughs> um, which, good chat, fact checking. But, right, everyone talks about his pace, as you mentioned, and then people then go, you know, he's also really strong and so on. But, the thing that makes this try is how aware and how good a rugby player he was. As well That's as a it. That is it. That's exactly what I had written down. Like it's just this try is the perfect proof that he is so much more than the speedster. Yeah. That it starts off with his genuine strength to get out of the tackle, and then his feet to evade one, and it's his genuine awareness of managing to 
tempt Lemmy to go the other way because you know that any day of the week, Brian Habana is capable of throwing that pass. And so he actually drifts off and then it gives him the chance to just run it in. It's next level. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the one thing that I did find quite weird is that at one point he does seem to go the wrong way. Like when you're looking at it, you're like, why is he going that way? And then he throws a dummy and the entire moment that Chase Ford uh, followed the dummy. And my immediate thought is, no wonder they uh, followed the dummy. He was definitely going the wrong way. And it just opens up for him. And he just yeah. runs it in. <laughs> and, he uh, changed yeah. direction so quickly. Yes, it's insane. And that's that's how I remember Habana as as well. And yeah, I, a guy that doesn't get a lot. Uh, people say it doesn't get a lot of praise, but that trial all came from Juwan Smith stealing the liner. Yes. So, mm. Yes. Yeah. Like I said, the th- real threats throughout the lineout from the Springboks. Yeah. And just getting back to that. Yeah. Yeah. I, it's yeah. So like right across the park, and they say Habana. Yes. His wanton needs to link up is what makes the yes. try. It's the fact that he's looking for the pass the entire time and genuinely looking for the pass rather than throwing a dummy. And Lemmy yes. buys it completely because he's genuinely weighing it up. Mm. And it it's... opens up the space. He's then quick enough once the gap is there to score it. As I say, it's knowing that Habana is capable of actually throwing that pass accurately rather yeah. than just having the awareness to do it. Yeah. That's why Lemmy doesn't... Because a lot of fullbacks would just go, all right, I'll force him to throw the pass then to someone slower. Yeah. Like, instead, he yeah. goes, no, actually, he, he's going to do that. Do you want yeah. a stat? Yeah, yeah, I like a stat. Always. Brian Habana was eight metres off making more metres than the entire Samoan backline put together. Oof. I'm not surprised, to be honest. Should have ran to <laughs> a few more dead ball lines. Yeah. <laughs> He's very oh, well, close. Also, yeah, he, he probably could, would have got that if uh, if it wasn't for Percy Montgomery. And he would have set a, another World Cup record if it wasn't Percy, for Percy Montgomery. I mean, Montgomery scored two tries in this game and uh, had he stole one of them off of a banner straight up <laughs> <laughs> and he could have passed the other one to a banner as well. So. Yeah. Yeah, of course. He should have nabbed six tries. Yeah. The, the one on half time by Montgomery is a classic because he scores it. You've got to say, okay, well taken. You took the chance. Well done. Yes. But it's very, it's a selfish little ball in it. It's yeah. A, yes. The, he does not take the correct option, but you've got to praise him because he finishes it. What's yeah. interesting about that? is the so it starts off because jb peterson's held up over the samoan line and they get a five meter scrum they eke out about 90 penalties out of samoa and there's no penalty try a yellow card or anything yes. and they keep going for the scrum again but there's one where forward Dupree goes for a quick tap and gets another penalty out of them and the referee's still just like nah don't worry about it lads i'll save my yellow cards <laughs> for when the punches start flying um <laughs> or not and then, the, yeah, then they, then they stick around a little bit longer, keep scrummaging, keep and so on, until eventually South Africa just go, right, okay, we'll just play this. And I genuinely think that the Samoans had switched off from having to just watch scrums for about five straight minutes. And then South Africa just like, all right, we can just score past you now. And as you say, Montgomery just kind of crashes over himself. So uh, th- th- there's that one piece where... Um... The Dupree uh, takes that quick tap, and you don't even see it because of the the cameraman, because mm. he, mm. he he's on the sideline having a good look at Brian Banner's ass. <laughs> <laughs> uh, like he's got a good zoom up on uh, Brian Banner's ass, and then what I find quite funny is that JP Peterson, once they like clear that little ruck up, and the South could decide to have uh, just before they decide to have another uh, scrum. JP Peterson goes up to Alex Tuilagi and just shoves him in the back. And Tuilagi turns around and 
he immediately recognizes who what he who he's done this to and he apologizes <laughs> sort of starts running away it is very <laughs> rare that you see jp peterson back down yes and uh when i saw that i i remembered that jp peterson was about 12 when this match was happening <laughs> and, and i was like okay fair play he, he also didn't have pakis buerta anywhere near him so <laughs> <laughs> that's the secret weapon the that's safety yeah. blanket I think I mentioned this on the podcast before once, but I remember it very fondly. A Wales-France game years ago, and Lee Byrne got taken out in the air. And then after the penalty's given and everything, like he gets up and looks looking for a fight, you know, looking to like start and whoever took him out of the air, then notices Sebastian Chabal and puts his fist down and walks away. It's <laughs> <laughs> like I'm not doing that. I've got backfield to cover. I've just yeah. remembered. I've got to get home to Bridge End one day. <laughs> yeah. that's, that's great. Yeah, that's the other thing. It's like I missed just how young JP Peterson was. He was 21 at this point, just yeah. turned 21 as wow. well. And Habana 24, so he'd been around a bit longer. He had sort of 27 caps. As Peterson was like a proper young buck up and coming. Mm. Yeah, you uh, you seem to forget that Peterson and Stain are the same age. Wow. No way. Yeah. I was yeah. going to say yeah. that Francois Stain, age two, comes on in this game. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah, when Francois Stain comes on, it doesn't so much look like a young Francois Stain as like in films when the cast and actor looks a little bit like the guy, but not really like him. <laughs> and you're like, well, it's clearly a different guy, but I can see you've tried. Playing young Franz Stein. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. And, and it's funny when uh, you speak about Franz Stein, that's how uh, I imagine him. Um, not really. Yeah, so uh, this World Cup obviously is uh, one of the World Cups that like, I remember quite well. Um, mm. And it it was at a time where I can still remember things. And that's how I saw Franz Stein. And... Uh, yeah, just just the the one quick thing that I thought was quite funny is um, it took the Australian commentators about five seconds to mention the drop goal that uh, once he came on the drop goal that he did against Australia earlier that year, <laughs> which I thought was was also brilliant. Like they had barely yeah. welcome, they could barely finish welcoming him on, onto the pitch, and uh, they were mentioning the drop goal. <laughs> <laughs> he didn't go to 2015, did he? So I was going to say he could have been somebody who goes to five no. World Cups next year, which is a shame because he, yes. he could have competed with Brian Lima on that. But And Mauro Bergamasco. Did he go to five? Yes. Mauro Bergamasco went to five. Oh. And James Pritchard of Canada. He was at five as mm. well. Of course. Of course. And we were there for his last we ever were game, weren't we? The last one. Yeah. He's coming off the bench against Romania. There we have it. World player <laughs> who we'll come on to in a couple of weeks in this podcast. Yes, that's um, awesome. that's that is very exciting. So half time, twenty one seven to the Springboks. Will, Will, sorry, can, can we go back to one instant quickly? Um, Absolutely. About about the twenty fifth minute or so. Yeah, I, I've got the, the one uh, space. All of a sudden, South Africa just kicked the ball after getting a turnover, and I'm like, oh, that's actually a decent kick. And uh, Leeming gets back and he goes to fetch the ball, but he's got a banner tearing after him. And he tries to hurdle over her banner and then gets like absolutely pissed off when <laughs> he like tumbles, tumbles over her banner and uh, causes another fight. But then they, they come back and the kick that was actually made was from CJ van der Linde. And I just remember looking at it and I'm like, whoa, <laughs> a prop could kick like that in those days though as well. Like I just remember... <laughs> My memories of CJ van der Linde was just him giving away penalties. Like that's how, that's how I remember him. Yeah. I remember just sort of trundling up to scrums and pushing. Yes. I don't remember yeah, doing exactly. anything outside of that. I will add, I absolutely loved the Lemmy versus Habana showdown yes. in this game. Like, I know that 
there's a very clear winner because Havana scores four tries and Lemmy's on the losing team. But <laughs> if Lemmy wasn't playing at fullback, Habana would have scored eight tries. Like, he was brilliant, I thought. I think he was probably mm. Samo's best player in this game because no, he's really solid at the back. Like, technically a brilliant tackle. He's the world's smallest Samoan. At one point, like, with that 10 minutes to go, he makes this brilliant, like, ankle-grabbing, try-saving tackle on Habana. There's a point as well where he gets the ball in the backfield and does this filthy step on Habana before clearing the ball in his own 22. And it's just yes. like, so few players can do it. And like, ultimately it doesn't lead to anything because the Springboks probably score not long afterwards. But to be able to sidestep Brian Habana is no mean feat. And David mm. Lemmy is one of just the most delicious sidesteppers in this era of rugby. <laughs> Absolutely. Just a joy to see him play. Yeah, I love it. So entertaining, isn't he? I think that he is—he is remembered as an entertaining player, like above all else, Lemmy. Yeah, really well loved player. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot; we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Should we look at the second half then? Yes. Yes. The thing is, so... The very first thing that happens in the second half is South Africa catch the kickoff and are charged down on the clearance kick by Dan Leo. Samoa then have like really good phases and then do this little switch. EFS does this little switch with Satiti who makes a break. And oh, for whatever it- reason goes for a chip kick in the inside the opposition <laughs> 22. It, yeah. it somehow supplants all of his penalties as the stupidest thing he does in the game. When he's got David Lemmy on his shoulder, yeah. getting into support. <laughs> And he goes, no, I don't want to pass to our record try scorer or soon to be our record try scorer. What I want to do is kick it. It's yep. not very good kick. It's a bad option and it blows the chance. Yeah, they and, do. And the thing is, is he does it in front of uh, Springbok forwards. So you can maybe think that he thought, okay, no, the Springbok forwards were gonna, aren't going to turn that easy. But he does it with Victor Matfield in front of him. Like uh, if any of, like if Matfield's like one of the most un-South African second rowers of all time, like he, he's not as hard, like hard or stupid as some of the other guys that we've mm. had. He turns around and he just gets it easy. <laughs> gets back <laughs> easy. But like, Satiti's quick. Like he yeah. he would be able to step somebody or like get an offload in or something. You'd think like even if he went himself and didn't throw the pass, yeah. it'd be a better option than that kick. It's bizarre that South Africa do end up taking it back like mm. by fluke and forcing a scrum five. But you still think like if Satiti wasn't the captain, he'd be getting a bollocking from someone. Well, I yes. was annoyed about it, and then I noticed it was Lemmy on his shoulder on the replay, and it went up another gear as yeah. a bad option. <laughs> yeah. 
So Samoa then have like this long kind of set of phases attacking the South African try line. And it's pretty good, I think. I think that they're varying yeah. it up quite nicely and they get very, very close. And then comes a point where Joe Takori picks the ball up from a ruck, dives over the try line and starts going absolutely mad celebrating it. And <laughs> poor it's old referee. The celebration Honus that you is... do when you know it's probably illegal. Yeah, exactly. Honus then disallows the try, says you're offside, you picked up the ball from in front, which I think is probably a fair enough call. It's one of those that you sometimes see given either way, you know? Yeah. But yeah. the thing is then, as soon as that happens, Samoa, and this is, it brings a little bit of deja vu for when we last covered this fixture <laughs> in 2011. There's this mad victim complex within the Samoan camp of like, oh, nothing's going our way today. The referee clearly hates us to the extent yeah, of... Stop punching people then. Yeah, exactly. The extent of, so Montgomery then tries to kick the ball downfield from the penalty, misses touch. Samoa have this little attack and are given a scrum. Two minutes have elapsed since that incident. And Satiti goes up to the referee and goes, by the way, that was a try. And the referee goes, no, he was in an offside position. And he says, like, you know, he in, in, stood in front, he picked it up. I'm, you know, that's an offside. You know, that's, that's the law. And then Satiti just goes, he wasn't. He wasn't. Like the referee's then just going to walk over and go, okay, try. Okay, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I, I did feel sorry for, for Samoa in this one. And uh, yeah, I'm going to be a real South African and do talk about the referee because I, I, <laughs> I, I, do, I, I do feel that uh, Samoa were actually quite hard done by. And it was some of the decisions in this match. Like the try just before half the time came right off the bucket. What had clear hands, like uh, hands in the rock. Like it was straight up, like Samoa were turning it over and then. You just see the ball come out of nowhere and Wurtz's arm going behind his back. And I, I think there's a few other tries that, that comes after a knock-on or turnover or something like that. And mm. so I, I, I do feel sorry for them. But uh, yeah, I, I, I thought he could have left that try. Like like you said, it was a 50-50 decision. Mm. It could go either way. I was like, I felt bad for them. They were going to get a beat in this match and yeah. they, they could have left that try. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Not long after that, <laughs> that Jacques Ferry goes on to score his try. Hell yes. of a finish. As yeah. they picked yes. that line beautifully. And just Since a great to finish. Like, to, like, yeah. yeah. Squeeze um, yeah. between the two players in the backfield. Because that's the other thing. It's like when Williams picks his line, South Africa only have one guy in the backfield where there's two back for Samoa. And he managed mm. to get around both of them. It's a really impressive finish. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. A slightly more difficult job than when that try was scored previously in the same spot. Montgomery's second try isn't long after that as well. Mm. While yeah. we're there. They work, work and overlap very nicely. JP Peterson throws a really nice offload. There's, is, is that the same one where Matt Field does is the dummy? Matt Field's, and, yeah, yeah. And his absurd pass. Yeah. And it's like we, so people mm. were quite rightly highly praising Adam Beard for that missed pass against Montpellier. And you see it nowadays. You see old times, like Johnny Hill did one quite recently. And there's, mm. you see second row is throwing like big passes like that. And people praise it nowadays, even though we're used to forwards having good skills but seeing victor matfield doing that 15 years ago 16 mm. years ago now absolutely ridiculous he was such a he's one of those players that wasn't you sometimes say a player well, was ahead of the time or whatever he wasn't he's just timeless you could drop into any yes. area of rugby and he yeah. would inside a week adapt to it yeah a hundred percent 
the the other thing that highlights it was a highlight for me in this match is that um I don't remember offloading being like this popular during this time. Like I, I for some reason like I just felt like Sonny Boom Williams made the made the switch over to rugby union and then started offloading and everyone's like, well that's a cool Ooh. thing. Like now nah, everyone can do it. But uh, but there's a brilliant I can't remember the minute from it, but uh, there was an insane Skulk Burger offload in this match as well. Mm. And um yeah, yeah, it, it was just it was just awesome to see that. And like you say, Matfield had everything. Like yeah, he he was a decent defender. Like I wouldn't say he was an outstanding defender, but he was a decent defender. But his attacking skills were incredible. Yeah. And I think that's it, though. You say he's a decent defender, but I think it's, he was more smart than he was physical. Like, he yes. didn't make the big hits that, like, a, a Bakis Butter mm. or Andreas Becker or other, like, uh, locks of that era will have done. But he was yeah. very smart in everything he did. It was all very planned. He, one of the best things yes. I think you can say about Victor Matfield is that if he was an average line-out expert instead of, like, line-out caller, line-out jumper, everything else, if he was, like, average rather than the best there's ever been, he probably still would have won 50 caps. Yeah. Yes. yes. Like he'd still be regarded as a really great Springbok, even if you took away the thing that he was better than anyone else that's ever played the game. Mm. Mm. Uh, mm. And if you hear like interviews where they speak uh, to Bucky's and Victor, like the main thing that they come up with is they they always talk about the combo between mm. the two of them, and um, yeah. they they very they very much did complement each other. Where Matfield's game fell short, Bucky's picked up that slack, and vice versa. So I, I do think that makes a that that made their partnership a little bit more like special than maybe Whitelock and uh, Retallick that are pre all round players. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. The one thing I did want to touch on, because we sort of just glazed over it there, was uh, Jean de Villiers going off. Mm. That, that was a massive blow. And like it starts a course, yeah, yeah. throughout his career of getting injured in the first few games for the Springboks in World Cups. He, he clutches at his arm while Samoa are attacking in the 22. And he can't actually move his arm, but still manages to make like three defensive interventions. I wouldn't wow. really call them tackles, but he, he just throws his arm at it and... His one arm is completely lumb, and he's still pushing, and I think he even hits a rock. Wow. <laughs> wow, I and, never did that when I had both arms and fully everything <laughs> working. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and uh, you, you can just see by his face that uh, he, he sort of knew when he was going off the pitch. And, like, yeah. I, I remember that moment and feeling gutted in t- 2007, mm. and... Faria and de Villiers were already being spoken about as the greatest centre pairing, and now mm. we're losing the greatest centre pairing for the rest of the World Cup campaign. Yeah, yeah it's a yeah. huge loss, isn't it? And then, as you say, Franz Stein coming on for him, who was a good yes. replacement to have, but a very different player. Mm. Yes. And, and a lot it, younger, you know, a lot yeah. less experienced yeah. than John de Villiers, who's just. I think, you know, you can pride on him being reliable more than mm. anything, which sounds like I'm slightly underselling him, but. Yeah, unbelievable inside centre. Yes. Scored tries, gave the right passes, defended well, did everything you would ask of a world-class 12. Yeah, yeah. At, at that time, you could argue that he was the greatest 12 in the in the world at that yeah. time. Yeah, he yeah. He was the best. And uh, staying coming on for him, staying at playing Flaha for the Sharks during Super Rugby that season, he played a bit of fullback and a bit of wing. He wasn't he wasn't an inside centre at this stage. I mean, nowadays, you speak, oh. uh, you think of Franz Stein and you're like, he's a centre or a fullback, but he was mm. playing elsewhere until, during this tournament. Mm. Yeah. 
It's a good replacement to have. We can say that much. Yes. Um, yeah. yes. Despite but... his youth. But yeah, obviously there's not many players in the world you could bring in who would really live up to John de Villiers. Mm. Horn but... bicep and still continues playing. Yeah. Unbelievable. Jesus. Um, um, yeah, rules him out of the tournament from here on out, which is a huge shame after just 43 yeah. minutes of, yeah. of rugby. Habana scores again. Hey! Yes. Yeah, <laughs> I mean... W- why isn't this shown over and over as one of the great Brian Habana tries? I've definitely seen it before, but not so much as the first one. Like, yeah. Amazing strength to break out the first tackle. And once again, it's the balance and the awareness that yeah. make this happen. And again, like it's the fact that he has the awareness to look outside him just to make Lemmy hesitate ever so slightly. And that's all he needs to step in on the inside. Most shows... players in the world, Lemmy would have been able to take there, but the sheer agility of Habana, not a chance. It shows maybe other than like his, you know, defensive and high ball stuff, but every weapon he had in the toolkit, Habana here, mm-hmm. like you see his strength, you see his balance, you see his ability to step, you see his pace, you see his ability to finish when he slows down 50 <laughs> meters out from the line. And then Lemmy catches back up with him. He's like, oh, no, shit. Okay. Somehow finishes miraculously from there. Like all of it comes out in this try. I think it's astonishing. I think it's, I think it is, it should be shown as one of the great Brian Habana tries, really. Mm. Cause there's basically nothing on when he gets the ball. And yet, bam, instantly it's seven points. Yeah. His acceleration is absolutely unreal. Yeah. He uses his acceleration to bump Fatayu as well. Mm. Like kind of uses the uh, like uses he accelerates onto it and almost uses the ball to bounce him off. Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, it's like a softer object to bounce him off on. Yeah, really, really good. Brian Lima comes on and does yes. the stupidest tackle you can imagine. Oh, it's it's a revolting <laughs> tackle. That yeah, yes, it's it's awful. He concusses himself by just flying into the head of Franz Stein. Is it? Victorious. Right. Oh, it's Andre Pretorius, yes. Who I yes. didn't realise played in this World Cup. <laughs> but I kind of have a moment of going, like, oh, hello, Andre Pretorius. You're, you're still <laughs> yes. about. But yes, Pretorius comes on at fullback, doesn't he? No, I no, think. no. Okay. Montgomery stays on. So I think he oh, comes yeah. on for Butch James. Um, oh, okay. But okay. the way I think what was happening with Lima there is that uh, by that stage, everyone had watched the Derek Hochot tackle about five million times. And he was just like, <laughs> well, there's another uh, South African scrum off that I can smash a shit out of. <laughs> <laughs> and believe me, he does. But as yes. I say, he's, he's the one who comes off worse and has to yes. go off. And there's well, it's, it's, it's horrible like... with the kind of like the, the stuff surrounding concussion, like the yeah. um, mm. conversations mm. have. But you look at that and you think that is entirely your fault, Lima. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's uh, and it's most... remarkable he didn't get recorded for that. Yeah. Honestly, he should have. Yeah, even well, at this time. Yeah. Nowadays, it's the clearest red card, and it's like a six month. You're ban. getting several months on the side. Whereas, and court in for this... attempted murder. Yes. <laughs> yes. In this era, the commentators see a replay of it and go, "I think the pass goes slightly forwards." <laughs> <sighs> they then ended Completely up completely to... tuned out to play a safety. Uh, ha, ha, ha. Sorry, they they had to yeah. sub on a hooker to replace Brian Lima, which I enjoyed. So Tony Funga came, comes on, which means Mo Schwalga plays in the back row. Yes, and for the last t- 10, 20 minutes, they have to play Samo Sutiti in oh, the centres. You know that entire Samoan pack are going. Yeah, I can play centre. 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Joe like, Takori, Dan really, Leo, Henry Tuolangi, I really Kane Thompson. Joe Takori to All play of center. them definitely went, yeah, I could play 12. There was definitely, like, a load of people sticking their hands up, and Stacey goes, no, I'm captain, I'm playing 12. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Sorry. Uh, and what I found mad is that um, the, why didn't Fuga take over the line-out throwing? Like, the yeah. line-out went absolutely rubbish for Samoa the whole time. And it's you bring point. on a hooker, and why didn't he throw? They've got like, nothing to lose, have they? <laughs> exactly. It couldn't get any worse. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, did, I didn't even think this about like, that. Uh, Mahari Shrauga has a quiet game. Like, he doesn't do much. Mm. But he's one of those guys that just has, like, as they say in, you know, the, that part of the world, he has so much mana that you have to keep him on. Like, yeah. he's just like, he's this guy who is inherently, there's something inspiring. I love Mo like, He can do basically nothing mm. in a game as he did here. Like, he can just, like, walk and look at rucks for the entire game. And you're like, no, but you can't drop him, can you? Yeah. There's just he's something just, about Talk him. about a man with presence. And I don't think he has a good game at all, but he just has a lot, like Star Elgin, has a lot of presence. <laughs> Brian Abana scores another try. That's an evergreen sentence. Well, of course he did. <laughs> yeah it's very much the one that Satiti stopped him from scoring earlier in the game where mm. there's um, South Africa are given a penalty and they're rushing the ball back to the mark and who better to take that penalty than Habana when the Samoans are all retreating and yeah he taps it and great strength for power over once again it just shows what Habana has it's a strong theme that we're repeating ourselves over here just wanking over Brian Habana but he's bloody yeah. good isn't he what, what I did notice about that try is that J.P. Peterson was actually alert to it before Habana. So he ran over, grabbed the ball, and he was going, and Habana was like, no, 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 and ended up getting the ball from Peterson and went and tapped it and scored himself. So <laughs> I thought, that, I, I thought, yeah, Habana was definitely chasing the record. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. And good on him. Yeah. yeah. It, like, this was his first, second, third, and fourth World Cup tries of what would go on to be the record number. Great finish there. Yes. And yeah, let's talk about the fourth one as well. Yeah. Because it's very simple. JP Peterson skins somebody. Mm. Really well timed pass. I think that actually, yeah. usually, when somebody has gone 80 minutes or, well, like 75 minutes without scoring a try and the guy on the other wing has scored three, to actually give that pass deserves a bit of credit. Peterson has one <laughs> earlier where he makes an absolutely brilliant break, kind of like shuffles out of a couple of tackles, a couple of great steps. Then it's the only time that South Africa make a break and Samoa seem to scramble back in the entire game. <laughs> and he throws the pass to whichever the Samoans is tracked back with him. Mm. And it's the proper, like, he's looking at it and going like, I shouldn't pass because it's going to get intercepted. But my coach will bollock me if I don't try. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And yeah. for him to also not be put off by that. Exactly, exactly. He throws the pass and just the execution of the pass, the final pass by Montgomery is excellent. And Habana just hits the Jets and it's yeah. an e nice and easy 40 metre run in for Habana, which feels like nothing in this game. All in a straight <laughs> line. He's denied, but uh, he's denied a fifth try by the referee because boring. Um, yes. Andre Pretorius throws a really lovely pass, which happens to be forward. Boring. <laughs> Uh, the, the other thing that I did catch up on, I, I don't know if you guys spotted it, but at one stage, um, Samoa kicked the ball to South Africa and the backfield, I've got it written down here, was Victor Madfield, Juan Smith, uh, Scott Berger <laughs> and CJ van der Linde. <laughs> and CJ van der Linde makes a line break from this. <laughs> <laughs> that's when you know you're truly invincible. And that's also when you know you're in the final quarter of the game. Yeah, yeah. exactly. And, I think um, I hope in the second game that's that's the back three you start with. 
So the it. commentator said about Samoa lose interest after 20 minutes. Didn't sound realistic. And then CJ van der Linden makes a break. Yes. <laughs> there, there was also that one kick from Scott Berger from yeah. the scrum. Oh, yeah. Like when he was playing number eight. Like that, that was just random. Like yeah. I, Scott Berger. Scott Berger like had a pretty awesome game this game like he yeah. like he did most games for South Africa and then he did that like what the fuck moment and that was it and that's after he had clotheslined somebody in the air probably punched a couple of guys and that was <laughs> like his ultimate what the fuck moments just outside the twenty two oh no I'll have a kick <laughs> the final and, try we'll yes. look at J P Peterson finally gets his moment Let, yeah bless Peterson yes, finally, finally getting a try. Because he spends the entire game being close and not quite getting there, and he deserved the try. He did, he did. It was good movement throughout the, the South African back line. And yeah. again, Montgomery, well-timed, well-executed pass to finish it off. And Peterson is at a canter at that point. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, if, that's the other thing that I have there, just deserve from Peterson. Because he, he had a big... He had a really great game, and mm. you, you'll always remember this game for Habana's four tries, but Peterson could have easily scored two or three years as well if everyone learns how to pass back backwards too. <laughs> yeah. A, like phenomenally solid game from Peterson. Very, very good player, as we uh, as we all know. Yeah. Should we go brings yeah, brings South Africa through to the end of the game, knowing that they'll face a much tougher challenge, which they surely won't, you know, <laughs> against England next week is going to be much more difficult. And yeah. there's no mm. way they'll have it quite as easy as they did in this no game. Ways. No, uh, no. <laughs> and you would think that England would score a lot more points than some other did. Yeah, they're gonna pose a lot more threats. Yeah, you know? especially in attack. Um yeah. Yeah. Yes. So, Jared, do you have anything to add on the game before we do? Yeah, just a random, another random thing that I picked up on. I picked up on a few weird things, but Brendan Werther, like that Mm. was another weird one that they mentioned. Like I've only ever known him as BJ Werther and they're like, oh no, Brendan Werther coming onto the pitch. (laughs) And I was like, who the hell is that? (laughs) And yeah, like I say, I I always remember uh, certain things and Montgomery, I I never remembered him missing from 40 meters Hmm. in kind of thing. And he missed some, a few badly in this game, like really, really badly. So yeah, he he ends up having a a decent shot, but uh, in the, in the rest of the tournament, but uh, it was weird to see him miss that much. And yeah, that's one more restart once they had uh, for Samoa, when they replaced uh, Gavin Williams was absolutely shit. (laughs) Oh yes. They went sideways. Yes, yeah. I, I I think it lost two meters in that kickoff. <laughs> you mentioned but the South yeah. African bench, actually. Ricky January comes off the bench, South Africa. Yes! Who was yes. a favourite player oh, of ours from his very short days at the Ospreys. But yes. he was immediately but a fan favourite. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. And just, just a legendary, beautiful man. Yeah, we spoke about US and uh, Freed Priya earlier, but Ricky January also has a special place in all South African fans' hearts from 2009, uh, mm. which hasn't mm. happened yet, of course. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, he is kick and chase and scoring that game against the All Blacks. Yeah, he's a legend of the game in South Africa as well. So, yeah, I also enjoyed that. Overall, I thought it was a, a really entertaining game. Like I said, yeah, I, t- agreed. I haven't watched too many older games and they often can be quite boring and mm. this game was just filled with so many shocking factors that it wasn't and yeah, yeah like I said playing watching Bucky's Sports play is always entertaining for me so. <laughs> absolutely yep. that's the main priority 
Should we do man of the match first? Sure, sure. Let's do, do man. I mean, actually, you know, you know what? No, I'll start. Um, okay. <laughs> but I think we've spent enough of this podcast. We keep cycling back to massive Victor Matfield loving. And I can't look yeah. beyond that. You know, Brian yeah. Havana scores four tries and good on him. He's excellent. There's a bunch of the South African forwards that play really well. Backy's border, I think, deserves a mention as well. I think he has a great mm. game. But for me, it's nailed on Victor Matfield. As clear as the day is long, it's Victor Matfield as the, the man of the match for the many reasons listed early in this podcast. Entirely mm. fair. I think every time I watch a Springboks game, particularly well from this kind of era, the default man of the match is always Scott Berger. I find like he's always the first name you write down as like, oh yeah, he's probably man of the match. I'm not going to give it to him. Another guy who was brilliant, not going to get man of the match, is David Lemmy. I absolutely loved him in this oh, game. Yeah. Like He mm. gave it everything. For me, once again, it's between Matfield and Havana. I think you're absolutely spot on with all the, all the stuff I said about both players. I feel like I'm going to go with Habana because he scores four mm. tries. I feel like if they weren't him, wouldn't have been scored that all of those tries, you sure. know, that yeah, like he yeah. was a point of difference in those tries being scored. It was a difference mm. between, you know, them being a good line break and a try. So I'm going to go with Brian Habana as my man of the match. Jared. Yeah. I I, th- I think it's fair. Both of the guys that you went for. And yep. Yeah, I think if I had to give a few, um, like shout outs, I'd, I'd probably say Joe Takori. I thought he had a pretty mm. decent game for Samoa. Um, yeah. And I, I, I really enjoyed watching Gavin Williams play outside of his restarts. I, I, I thought he was <laughs> yes. actually a classy player. But uh, yeah, for the South Africans, I definitely think it has to be Victor Matfield. All the reasons, like you say, all the reasons we've mentioned in the podcast. And I thought he was just incredible. Like he even won a, like, Every try that Tabana scored or the Springboks scored just seemed to have Matt Field involved in some way along the line. Before yeah, they did yeah. It. So that, that that was my big thing. And yeah, I I enjoyed watching James play again. I thought Oster Runs and CJ Funnelinda probably deserve a mention because of the demolition job that the ball yeah, did yeah. at scrum time. I, th- I think the only thing that we need to give a little shout out to is uh, JP Peterson because nobody will remember him from this match. Um, they'll all remember Banner, and yeah, at least we get it on a bit of bit of a record that uh, JP Peterson had a damn good game this game. But uh, absolutely love that. Yeah, for, for me it was for me it was uh, Victor Matfield. No arguments here. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, no arguments. And should we move on to Dick of the Day? Sure. I mean, one guy I have that I wrote down about 10 seconds into the game was Alessandro Tuolangi for passing the ball. I was thinking, like, <laughs> oh, please, just run yourself. Don't pass the ball. But realistically, I have to give it to Junior Apollo for trying to start a fight with Bucky's Borta. Like, why? <laughs> <laughs> As a scrum half, why would you do that? Uh, I, 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 I've, I've gone... Uh, pretty vanilla with this one and uh, I think it could go to him every time he plays but Bucky's Puerto was my pick of the day like, <laughs> the, the, so, yeah, like he wound up the, the Samoas the entire game and you knew it was going to come but he just also had a game filled with like high tackles and like he went into so many rucks like just dived in with the, the leading with the shoulder I'm sure he must have landed a few punches in this match and <laughs> Yeah, I, I I think he had to be the dick of the day. Um, Fair enough. He's and, objectively the dick of the day, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and the, the the other dick of the day, like runner up that I'll I'll throw in there is, is the referee for not giving Joe <laughs> yes. a try. 
and for putting out during the before the World Cup that he wants to talk to the players more and then just telling them to pretty much shut up and just get on with it. <laughs> <laughs> to me, I think they're all very, very good shouts. But I feel if we're talking objectively, Dick of the Day, Samo Satiti, the Samoa captain and number yes. seven, <laughs> who I don't think did anything legal all game, was constantly <laughs> cheating, was penalised for it as well, picked fights with everyone he wanted to, did a stupid chip kick, yeah, moaned at the referee constantly. They're like, oh, you're not giving us anything. So yeah, it's because you just punched him. Like, <laughs> like, if you just stamped on the referee's foot, no, he's not going to give you a penalty. <laughs> I... Like, I was annoyed with him as, like... Uh, oh, not annoyed. I was like, this guy is a massive shit house. This guy is, like, <laughs> to the point it's becoming a detriment to his own team in the way I don't think Bota quite crossed that line. And then I realised he was the captain. I just nailed it on a stick of the day. <laughs> <laughs> so, for me, yeah, Samuel Satiti, the Samoa captain, is dick of the day for me. Entirely um, fair. That brings us to a close. Jared, where, thank you for doing it so much. Thank oh. you for coming on. Where can people find you? Where can people find your stuff? If people do want to heed your advice from earlier and follow you, sexually listen to the podcast, where can people do that? Yeah, uh, first of all, thank you guys for bringing me on. It was an absolute pleasure and it was really, really enjoyable. Yeah, if you want to find me, I'm on Planet Rugby's website. Uh, if you look under the authors or just manage to spot my name over there, I have all of my articles. I'm at JaredWright17 on Twitter and... I have a rugby mad Facebook page if if you if Facebook's your kind of thing, but uh, yeah, I don't speak too much on there. Just post stuff there. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just want to yes, say thank you, gents. Once again, thank you for coming on, and just echo what I said at the start that like you're a, a, just a real credit to rugby fans globally. I think that your your kind of unbiased coverage of the game is just something that I think I certainly want to like you know aspire to as a fan what like the way that you consume rugby I just absolutely love it so uh, please continue what you're doing like 100% the reason why I wanted you on this podcast because I think you're you know just a golden rugby fan yeah and thank you guys very much and for for all of your guys work that you do on the channel and that uh, you guys make uh, you. rugby analytics uh, very funny and exciting and I think uh, what you guys do does make a, a big difference in growing the game I mean yeah to attract new people just telling them Bucky's Porter made 20 carries not going to mean very much but yeah putting it in a fun exciting way and it makes a big difference and oh. i certainly enjoy thank the you. channel so carry it's very on kind of you to say <laughs> thank you and yeah likewise like love everything you're you're doing as well was just iterating yeah thank you for coming on thank you for doing this i realize we've kept you quite a while <laughs> and thank you to everyone that's listened please join us next week when the game will be canada against wales and we'll see how that one goes Thank you. Thank you, Jared. Thank you, Will. Thank you, everyone at home or on a treadmill or wherever you are as you listen to this. And we'll see you all next week. Good night. Well, Brian, why you scored again? <laughs> <laughs> hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.